You know, I think about uh, high school occasionally. Uh, I think more about college. Uh, I, think, uh, I think about uh, what did it take for me to move from being a, a senior in high school to being a freshman in college. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, uh, just, just to talk to those that are graduating soon, I had no clue what I was doing. But I thought I did. And so what I want to encourage you with is the same thing that Elijah did. Listen, you have your whole life in front of you, and it's going to take some really cool turns, and it's going to take some, like, U-turns, and it's going to take some hard rights and hard lefts. But I'll tell you the one thing that will never change. If you have a relationship with Jesus, he will never leave you, and he will never forsake you. And that is amazing. Now, I do need to admit to something this morning. Okay, and I, I need you guys to bear with me here. Um, I need to admit to something uh, this, this morning because last week I was up on the stage and I was wearing a button down shirt that did not belong to me. <laughs> Going through my closet, said, hey, that looks really good. I put it on here because I, I don't, you know, sit at my desk wearing my shirt, that kind of thing. Uh, I wear a shirt. <laughs> Come on, people. Golly. Anyway, I put this shirt on, and I'm thinking, my goodness, did I eat that much? Right? Roll up the sleeves, can't get them past my forearms. I'm like, man, all right. I put on my son's shirt not last Sunday, and I wore it on this stage. It's at least one size too small. But I rocked it, didn't I? <laughs> Isn't that horrible? So, hey, um, you know, as we think about, uh, about graduation and stuff, I have a few quotes that I think, you know, anytime that you write a thank you note or you're thinking about your future, you know, there's a few quotes that I think, if, if I can just help you out a little bit, uh, it'll be good. Now, these may not work out for all your quotes, but they may help you as you go for what's next. Abraham Lincoln said, tact is the ability to describe others as they see themselves. Now that will serve you all through life, right? All right, but he also said this, and this is something to remember, no man has a good enough memory to be a successful liar, okay? So when mom and dad say, hey, what you been up to? No man or woman has a good enough memory to be a successful liar. Catherine Hepburn, she said, if you obey the, all the rules, you miss all the fun. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Jerry Bridges took it a little bit further. He said, the level, level of our obedience is most often determined by the beha behavior standard of other Christians around you. I want to pause on that one. If you want to know if that's true, just ask your parents They'll tell you it's true. The level of our obedience is determined by the behavior standards of those around us. Hmm, it's pretty good. 
So we've been in the book of Hebrews, and the, the, the writer of Hebrews has been building a case for us. And that case has been kind of surrounded by the idea that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater than anything, anyone, that he is greater than uh, suffering, that he is greater than any difficulty that you will encounter. And we're going to see today that Jesus is greater than restlessness. But I want to start with a question. Anyone in here remember Moses? Not like a friend named Moses, but we're talking about in the scriptures, in the Old Testament. Anyone remember Moses? Moses, the guy that saw the burning bush, right? The one that said, oh, look, there's a bush burning. I'm going to go look at it, like any guy would do, right? Not only that, but the bush started talking, and anyway. So the burning bush. And then he's that guy that, that went and he told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. Now, for those of you that are like 40 and older, you cannot hear that statement without thinking of Saturday Night Live and Steve Martin, right? I'm right, aren't I? Yeah. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go, right? He's also the guy that came down the mountain, Charlton Heston with the Ten Commandments. So Moses pretty central figure when you're talking about the people of Israel. He's the guy that, that brought in the law. He's the one that brought in the Ten Commandments for the Israelites to follow. He's the one that, that set them on a course towards the promised land. But what we're going to find out is that the writer of Hebrews wants us to know that as great as Moses was, Jesus is greater. So last week, we, we started with, we kind of just sat on this verse. It was Hebrews chapter 3, uh, verse 1. It says, therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, since Jesus is greater than all creation, since Jesus is greater than suffering, that he's greater than any difficulty, you guys who are sharing in, those that holy brothers, the ones that believe that Jesus is who he says he is, those are the ones that are sharing in this heavenly calling. The writer of Hebrews is asking you to consider Jesus, an apostle, a sent one, the high priest of our confession, not only the one that is sent, but one that mediates between man and God. He can mediate between God and man and man and God. In fact, Jesus is what some have called the bridge. Jesus is the bridge between God and man, the faithful one. And he who is faithful to, <clears throat> to him who appointed him, that he's faithful to God, just as Moses was faithful in all of God's house, just as he was faith faithful, the writer says, I want you to consider Jesus. I want you to consider, I want you to think about it. And as we think about our future plans, as we think about what we're doing this afternoon, as we think about what we're doing in the, the coming months and the coming decades, have you been actually considering Jesus in those plans? Meditate on it so that Jesus is greater. Jesus is, just, Jesus is not just the author and, and finisher of our faith, but he's the author and finisher of our thoughts. 
the writer then brings us this illustration of a house that is being built. And he says basically this, the builder of this house, God's house, is Jesus. Because every house has a builder. Every structure is built by someone. Every home has an architect. The house that God is the architect of is Jesus. Jesus is greater simply because he built the house that Moses resides in. Jesus is greater than Moses. Moses, in this illustration, as we're looking in that scripture, and, and it, we find that Moses is the servant in the household of God. Jesus is greater than that Old Testament covenant. Jesus is greater than the Old Testament law. Jesus, in fact, is the one who serves the house, but he is also Lord over the house. And this house was built by shedding his blood for sinners. So the writer continues in verse six. He says, and if we are in if we are his house, if we indeed hold fast to our confidence and our boasting and our hope. We are part of the house that God has built through Christ. If we are confident, if we hold fast in our confidence, in our boasting, in our hope. If we have hope that Jesus is who he says he is, that he will do what he came to do, that Jesus is the one that defeated death. If we agree and we reside in that fact, we understand that we have an architect that built a house. Moses, he was just simply a servant in the house that was built. And we are God's people. We are the people of this house if we are in Jesus, if we have salvation through Jesus. And how do we show that we are in Christ, that we are believers in Christ? It's by holding to our salvation and proclaiming the hope that can only come through Jesus. He continues in verse seven. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, Listen, and, and this is just free. If you want a hint as to the inspiration of the scripture, an inspiration of the Bible, here it is. Therefore, the Holy Spirit says, the Holy Spirit is then quoting the Psalm of David. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Today, there was a time, there was a time with David, the author of Hebrews reminds us that it is still time today. Now, if you're not familiar with what happened with the Israelites, so basically uh, Moses came and, he, and he, uh, he grew up in Pharaoh's home. He was the baby in the basket, remember? And he grew up in Pharaoh's home. And then ultimately he figured out that he didn't really belong to Pharaoh, that he was a, a Hebrew slave child. And so then one day he sees a Hebrew slave being mistreated and he kills the Egyptian. And he finds himself on the run and he runs away from, from the whole situation, goes out and he, and he tends sheep in the desert. And ultimately God calls him by the burning bush and comes back and he says, Pharaoh, I want you to let my people go. 
And through the plagues and everything else, eventually Pharaoh relents and he lets the people go. And they find themselves a newly free nation of over a million people going from one place in Egypt across and they find themselves at the edge of the sea. And as they find themselves at the edge of the sea, they find themselves going, oh my goodness, what did we just do? We just ran away from Pharaoh and here they come, they're coming down and they're going to slaughter us. And it's at that moment that, the, that God uses Moses to open up the, the sea and they walk through on dry land over to the other side. And it's at that very point where that's the beginning of the nation learning how to follow God because they've been in captivity for over 400 years. They'd been people that had at, at points forgotten really the heritage of who they were. And in that moment, they, they find themselves a new people in a new place going to a promised land that God said that he would give them. And that promised land was supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. It was supposed to have all kinds of bounty and be, be one of the richest blessings that they had received. And on their way, their only job was to learn what does it look like to follow after and trust God. The writer of Hebrews continues and he says, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? Because here's what happened. Anytime we go into this new place and we, we hit an opposition, we hit something that is super difficult. Now, I, I'm thinking about how does that, that really inter, intersect in our own lives? It's in this moment where we find ourselves, we went and we're going and we're doing what we believe we're supposed to do, but then we hit our first snag. We hit that difficulty. We trip over something that was simple. Maybe we bomb a test. Maybe we make a mistake and end up in, in the dean's office or something. You know, who knows what happens? But in that moment, we hit a snag and we have a choice that we have to make. Do I continue on to what I know I'm supposed to do or do I turn back? And that was the issue with the Israelites because they got through the Red Sea and they should have been exactly trusting God in anything that God had told them to do. But it wasn't long until they started complaining they started grumbling. They started saying, you know what? I don't like to eat this. I want to eat something different. You know, in Egypt, I might've had to make bricks all day, but at least I had some garlic. And they found themselves complaining against the very thing that they had been made to do. And it's in those moments where we hit opposition that we have a choice. Do we turn and say it used to be better? Or do we strive and reach for something greater? So the, Moses marches the Israelites through the desert over to the Jordan River. And he says, on the other side of this, this is where God has given you. This is the land that he's promised you. And they're like, oh, that's really cool and all. But um, let's send some people over to make sure that it's okay. And so they send some guys over the spies. Uh, Joshua and Caleb are, are two of them. And they send them over and the report comes back. Oh my goodness, these people are ginormous. These people are so big. They're, they're like 
bigger than anything we've ever seen. Yeah, there's some really good fruit there, but have you seen the people? They will squash us and we will die. So God obviously brought us out here to kill us all. And it's at that report that they determined, the people determined that they weren't going to follow God. Instead, they were going to turn back. They were going to turn back and not do what the Lord had promised that he would do for them. And so there we were left with that moment, that defining moment that then sent them walking in circles in the desert for 40 years. It left them wandering. In fact, the only reason that they had to wander for 40 years is so that the people that said, you know what, we're not going to go do what God told us to do because we're scared. We don't believe that this God that opened up the sea will take care of us on the other side of the river. We don't believe that this God that fed us manna from heaven, that when we got tired of manna, provided us with quail. We don't believe that this God will take care of us. The one that that brought water out of rocks when we were thirsty, this God that was doing amazing things, we don't believe that he's going to do that. So we want to go back. So they wandered, the disobedient in the desert. The writer of Hebrews says, so we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So what I want us to understand today is that disobedience to God is the same thing as disbelief. There's no rest in being disobedient to God. Disobedience basically means that you don't trust God's words. Disobedience equals no rest. The Israelites being stuck between certain death in the sea. And when God saved them by removing the sea, he taught them about who he is and who they are. He taught them that, that I've got you because you're my people. And he took them to the edge of the river And once again, they were stuck between uncertain death and following God, stuck between uncertain death and not inheriting a promise, a blessing that God had for them. And they kept, as a people, continuing to fight bouts of restlessness. So today, we understand that Jesus is greater than restlessness. And and how does this apply? We're going to unpack restlessness and we're going to look at the, the rest that's provided by God. But in that moment, when we're thinking about restlessness, it comes in a lot of different forms. And as we're, as we're engaging in this idea of going into, uh, from high school into college, what does restlessness look like? For unpacking this idea of uh, going from singleness into marriage, what does restlessness look like? Being married with no kids and married with kids, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to be restless in any stage or phase of our life? It looks a lot like anxiety. It looks a lot like fear. Restlessness looks like I know what I'm supposed to do, but I just don't have the energy to do it. Restlessness looks like I know what's right, but what's wrong comes easy. 
Restlessness looks a whole lot like walking away from God. We'll find three types of rest in this passage. The rest of salvation, the rest of obedience, and the rest of restoration. So the rest of salvation. By faith, if we trust in the righteousness of Jesus, that the righteousness that Jesus gave us through shedding of his blood, dying on the cross, and on the third day rising again, that righteousness of Jesus, the writer of, of, he, of Romans, Paul, told us that the righteousness of Jesus was imputed on us, was given to us, the blood of Jesus covered us, and we took on his righteousness before God. There was no longer a need for us to, to offer us a, a, an offering every year, every month. There was no longer a need for us to offer a sacrifice because Jesus became the once for all sacrifice. By the righteousness of Jesus, we have the rest of salvation. He is the one that we hope in. He is the one who we can hope in and he is without fail. When we understand finally that Jesus is who he says he is, and that it's through Christ that our sin debt is paid, we can enter into the rest of salvation. And then our job is to enter into the rest of obedience. That's entrusting Christ's work, not ours. Now, how many of you have, have spent your, your years just going, okay, I know that Jesus loves me. I know that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. So now it's time for me to get to work. I got to do the good deeds. I got to do the good things so that I can get to the good place. Anyone ever been stuck there? Everyone ever been stuck in that idea that our, our, our works somehow, after we accept Jesus, our works are what actually catapult us into heaven? Now we're gonna find, you know what, that Paul told us that listen, it doesn't matter what good works you have. The only thing that gets you in the right standing with God is Jesus. And that means that we need to learn to trust in Christ's work, not ours. But that doesn't get us off the hook. And I think that's where we kind of find ourselves stumbling around is because there's this rest that we find in obedience, but we find ourselves actually straining against the things that we know that we should do. We find ourselves straining against this idea that we should be people that are transformed. And so we say, I'm going to trust in Jesus, but I'm going to live like I don't even know him. Because that resting in obedience is actually abiding in Christ. It's being connected to Christ so that his nature becomes your nature. Abiding is not interjecting our own thoughts. See, our rest of obedience, it's derailed by sin. Obedience is derailed by sin. And as we find ourselves making choices day after day, and when we find ourselves in a situation where we choose to cheat, or we choose to do something that is not morally right, 
we find ourselves being derailed by those sins, if we find, we find ourselves kind of taking one step after another away from the things that we know Christ has called us to. So obedience is derailed by sin, and then sin, it hardens your heart. Sin hardens your heart towards God. A hard heart has little to no life, and it's deaf to the Holy Spirit. And I know, they say, you know, the people that like to do all these studies and all of these uh, statistics, they say that 60%, 60% of, of people who grew up in church walk away from their faith when they enter college. They just walk away. And I think it's because they don't know how to be. They don't know how to walk in a relationship with Jesus, understanding that obedience isn't an, you, this side of heaven, we can't be perfectly obedient to Christ. We don't have the ability. Through Christ, we can be transformed. Through Christ, we can lay down our sin, sinful thoughts and patterns and, and actions. But in those moments where we find ourselves having to struggle between choosing one thing and being engaged in another, Oftentimes, we choose the things that we can see. We choose the things that people say, this is the way to go. And sometimes we just choose that path of sin. And that sin hardens our heart, and it makes us deaf to what the Holy Spirit is saying. The writer of Hebrews told us that the Israelites did not enter into the rest of God. Because of their hardened heart. Now think about this. Put yourself in the shoes of the Israelites as they're going through the wilderness. They had everything that they needed. They had tents. They had clothing that didn't wear out, which is miraculous, right? It was probably the right size, too. <laughs> they had food. It may not have been gourmet food, but they had food. They had water. They had shelter. And more important than that, they had a God that was present with them. Smoke and fire, right? God was present with them. And when God said move, they moved. And when God said go, they go. And when God said stay, they stayed. And in the obedience to God, they found that God gave them provision. And I think if we were to be honest, those of us that kind of did this wandering path away from God and then came back to God, we'd say, I didn't find rest until I stopped wrestling with God. I didn't find rest until I stopped pushing against him. So because of their hard heart, the Israelites assumed God's kindness. They got to this point where they're like, okay, it really doesn't matter what we're doing, but God's going to just let us in to the, into the promised land. You know, yeah, we can grumble and complain, but hey, that's kind of what we do, right? We're complainers. But God warned them. He warned them to endure. He warned them to listen. He warned them to give them, he, to, to abide in him, to be his people. He said, I will be your God and you will be my people. But many of them failed, and as a result, they didn't enter into his rest. For them, obedience to God was freedom from slavery. The God that had brought them out of slavery 
It brought them into freedom. He commanded that they would just be obedient to him. Listen, I'll bring you out of all of this generations of slavery. All you got to do is be obedient and rest in me. And I'll take you to the promised land. Obey and be free. Obey and be free. Don't repeat the withdrawal to a faithless existence. Don't turn away from the one who saves. If we can learn what it means in the context of our lives to obey and be free, because ultimate freedom is found under ultimate authority. Ultimate freedom in our lives is found under the ultimate authority of God, and it sounds counterintuitive, but it's the only way to life. And so maybe for some of us, we need to just check our hearts and ask yourself, is your heart hard? Are you walking further away from God because of sin? Or is your heart soft? Are you drawing closer and closer in? Have you been listening to the Holy Spirit? In a word, have you been resting in obedience? You're like, well, okay, then how do I rest in obedience? How do I do that? It has a lot to do with the people that you, you associate yourself with. It has a lot to do with those that you choose to surround you and speak into your life. Our job as the body of Christ is to encourage one another in obedience, to be that, the ones that spur one another along in faith and good deeds, the ones that, that care for one another, the ones that say, you know what? We want to do the things that God is calling us to do. We want to be found faithful to the word of God. We want to be found faithful to the gospel of Jesus. We want to be found faithful today, tomorrow, and the next day. How do we rest in obedience? We go to worship. We, we engage with other people who are like-minded, who love Christ. It's, it's so important for us, regardless of where we live or where we go, that one of the very first things we do is that we find a church. We find a church that has people that love Jesus, and we get involved. Not only that, but we need to learn to have gratitude towards God. Because after all, we're not promised tomorrow. We also need to remember this, and this is something that I think as Christians, we kind of pivot on this depending on if we've done something or somebody else has done something. Your faith in God, it's personal, but it's not private. Every bit of your relationship with God is very personal to you, and it should be, but it should not be private. People should know where you stand. Your friends should know if you love Jesus or if you don't. Your family should know if you love Christ and obey his commands or you don't. You can't rest on this idea that whatever is in my heart is my business, but I'm going to tell everybody the business that's on yours, right? Our relationship with God is personal, but it is not private. It is to be shared. It is to be used to lift others up to be an encouragement to one another, to be on the lookout for one another. Do you know why? 
because eternity is at stake. Eternity is at stake. And in that vein, we need to ask God to give us eyes to see those around us with gospel urgency. And we can only do that if, if we're living in this place where we are obedient, obedient to God through Christ. That we can keep our hearts pliable, that we can keep our eyes open because hard hearts don't recognize. They don't recognize or accept their need for a savior. Hard hearts don't recognize their need to be obedient to God because they're doing it on their own. Hard hearts, they don't see their need for a savior because salvation belongs to Jesus. Now salvation only comes through Christ. It doesn't come through me. It doesn't come through, honestly, my life. Salvation only belongs to Jesus. Now I can live a good life and I can be a good example but I cannot save you. And your parents can't save you. And you can't save your children. Salvation belongs to Jesus. But obedience, that's your responsibility. So let's continue. Chapter four, verse one. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. He says, listen, today realize that whether you recognize God or you walk away, honestly, today could be your very last day. Therefore, while entering the promise of his rest still stands. As long as today is still today, there's still a chance. Let us fear. Let us fear God that any of you should have seemed to have failed to have reached his rest. Listen, very simply, the gospel is the only way that you can know that you will enter into the rest of God. The gospel of Jesus is the only way that you know for sure that you will be saved. That's why the gospel must be protected. It must be proclaimed. It must be shared with every single generation. As long as today is today, as long as there is still a breath in your lungs, you have an opportunity to know the goodness of Christ. But here's the challenge. As we're looking at this, this group of seniors that are gonna go out into the wide big world and they're going to do amazing things for sure. My challenge to you is this. Those of you that are five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, 60 years removed from being in college. I want you to see that our responsibility as a church is to speak the gospel in a way that other generations understand. Our job is to preach the gospel to speak the gospel in a way that awakens their heart to the God that loves them, that loved them so much that he gave his only son. And we need to proclaim it with urgency. We need to proclaim it with everything that we have because the good news is open to all. But hearing the gospel doesn't equal acceptance. For the good news came to us as to them, but the message they heard 
did not benefit them. A response of faith is always required. Israel heard that God was going to give them the land of the promise. They heard that, but they didn't respond with faith. They were disobedient because they, believed, because they did not believe that God would take his own word seriously. If there's ever a message of urgency that I want you to hear, it's this. Just because someone says that there is no God doesn't mean that there is no God. Just because someone says that all roads lead to heaven doesn't mean that's true. It is our job to point them to the way, the truth, and the life. It says, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Hearing about Jesus is one thing. Responding in faith is what matters. So while the Israelites were in the wilderness, and while they were running away from danger, they only had one choice to trust God. But then comfort won for them. And it wins in us too. Once they were safe on the other side of the sea, once they were safe in their degree, once they were safe in their job, once they were safe in that new marriage, comfort won. Late nights on Saturdays, early Sunday mornings, comfort won. Once they were on the other side of the sea, they had to choose to go toward danger and claim the promise that they had been told. See, Israel entered the land, but not the rest. They never entered the rest that comes from obedience. They failed to claim and live in the blessing that God had proclaimed. Basically, they just moved from one place to another. The rebellion went from one side of the Jordan to the other. Their disobedience resulted in restlessness. So as we struggle in this area, the already but not yet, this place where we are straining towards eternity, we often walk away from the great things that God has given us, the great things that God has in store for us because we're unwilling to follow through with the instructions that God has given The writer continues, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from the works as God did from his. Since the seventh day of creation, the opportunity to join in the rest of God remains. Let us therefore enter that rest. Let us therefore enter the rest that comes through salvation in Christ so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The rest of God is the only thing that can satisfy the restlessness of the human soul. God's rest is through Jesus, through his death and his resurrection. 
if we reject the gospel, we will die in the wilderness. But if we trust in the promises and the God who made those promises, we will enter then into God's rest. This is a message for stubborn sinners who need to hear the same thing over and over again. Don't reject the work of Christ in your life. Don't die in the wilderness. Enter into the blessings that God has for you through Jesus because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is our rest. It's not in a church building. It's not in a church service, but in a person. Jesus is our rest. So the rest of salvation, the rest of obedience, and lastly, the rest of restoration, ensure that you don't walk away from the rest of restoration. Jesus leads us to the final rest of restoration. Rest of restoration. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. Those three men watched their friends and their relatives die in the desert. While all around them, there were people experiencing death, sorrow, and pain. Joshua and Caleb still rejoiced in the hope of the promise because they entered into the land. And we know that Jesus leads us to the kingdom and that one day that kingdom will be restored. Evil and suffering will vanish. It will be like a vapor. Heaven and earth will be restored and we will be restored. We will rest from work. We will rest from the pressures of this world and enter into the promise and the presence of God. So you got a choice. 40 years going backward. Israel went backwards instead of forward. They missed their inheritance. They missed their blessing. And they died in the wilderness. So my question for you today is this. Are you experiencing the restlessness of disobedience? Have you been wandering in the desert of your faith for years? Did you walk away because of stress, because of job, because of something a professor said? Was it because you never found rest? Were you saved but disobedient? There were believers who did not claim their spiritual inheritance that was available to them right then because they chose to doubt God's word. They chose to doubt God's word and live in restless disbelief. They were out of Egypt, but they never made it to the promised land. Definitely God was with them. Definitely he was with them, but they did not enjoy the fullness of his blessing They were resisting the transformation of their hearts. God had deliverance for his people. He had deliverance for for them from Egypt. He cared for them. He revealed his power and all of his wonders. Israel saw it. They benefited from it. But their experience did not make them trust him more. They doubted that God was able to overcome their challenge. That God was able to overcome the Canaanites. So they did not allow God to transform their hearts. They struggled with heeding to his word. Instead, they hardened their hearts in sin. God did not fail them. 
but they failed God. God did not allow them to go back to Egypt. He doesn't allow us to go back. And they missed out on his rest, his blessing that he provided. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. Believers who doubt God's word and rebel against him do not miss heaven, but they miss out on the blessings of their inheritance today. And they must suffer the chastening of God. So today, you can accept the free gift of God through Jesus and enter into the rest of salvation. Believe in faith and be saved. Say yes to the words. Say yes to God's word. And walk in the assurance of obedience so that you'll experience the blessing today. Now, but more fully when you enter the kingdom by the hand of Jesus. Because Jesus is greater than restlessness. Would you pray with me?